Hello, dear friends. I pray you recognize that theme song. If you do, uh, you know what time it is, not by your clock or your watch. You know what time it is because it's time for our weekly Bible study here on our website titled Let's Talk about Jesus. Now, we could talk about a lot of things, and we're going to be talking about a lot of different themes and a lot of different uh, uh, actual uh, sermons and teachings that are uh, really under the umbrella of the last days and the end times, because we're living in those very days. When I first became a Christian, I heard about the last days and last day signs, and, and I thought, that's coming really quick. That's coming really soon, but it's not right here, right now. Now, I'm living in that time that was being preached but way back when I first came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, those many, many years ago, I myself am able to preach about the last days and the end times in a way that my pastor, as a very young Christian, was never able to preach. So much has occurred to fulfill the the prophecies that mark the end times, that declare that his coming is near even at the doors. So, friend of mine, I want to bring you an important message today. Pray you'll stay tuned. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we pray that you will stay tuned to this important message. If you are a Christian, uh, it is vital that we have the Word of God in this ever-darkening, sin-darkened world, that we have the Word of God as a lamp unto our feet, as David put it. Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Praise God. Well, we're going to bring you a teaching and a preaching. You know how this works with me. I'm a pastor evangelist, so that evangelist part of my calling comes out when I teach the Word of God. And, and, and that pastor teacher comes out when I preach the Word of God. Amen. And we're going to be talking about Jesus, seeker-friendly or substitute. Where should the emphasis be on Jesus today? In these last days, for every child of God and for everyone that doesn't know Him as their Savior, should He be the, the seeker-friendly Jesus? Doesn't mean He doesn't uh, call us friends in the New Testament. It, but, it, but in the sense of the focus of the message, the core of the gospel, do we just befriend Him and hang out with Him? Or is He our substitute Lamb that suffered and died on the cross? Should that be where the emphasis is, where the spotlight is. Listen, friend of mine, God has hot, God has put the spotlight on him and in particular his sacrificial death on the cross. The Bible said when, when Jesus thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, he humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant. And was obedient even unto the death of the cross. Wherefore, 
God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name that is named of things in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth, that at the sound of his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Let me make a statement as we get ready to read 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. In these last days, marked by deception, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, it's crucial that every true child of God follow the true Jesus in reverence and in in all, actually, I, you know, I, the, 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 the great Christian hymn, Amazing Grace, I'm still amazed also. I've been saved a long time, but I'm still amazed at what God has done and what Christ has done in order to save a sinner like I was. I'm not going to call myself a sinner now. I'm not going to call myself sinlessly perfect, but I am certainly not a sinner. That is to say, I sin does no longer reign in my body uh, to to fulfill it in the lust thereof. Jesus is Lord over my life. The Bible said no man can call him Lord but by the Holy Ghost. There's going to be a lot of people try to declare His Lordship when they stand before Him as judge, not as Savior, but as judge, because He's going to judge the wicked, and He's going to judge the hypocrite, and He's going to judge those who have this false sense of security, because many teachers today in pulpits in churches see that's what the scripture says that that the spirit of god the holy spirit the spirit of truth speaketh expressly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith that's the the true faith, the faith that is based upon the apostles prophets and jesus christ as the chief cornerstone. Amen. Some shall depart the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When we're talking about deception coming through false teachers, Jesus put it this way as a sign of the end. Many false prophets shall go out into the land and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. It's so important that we do what the Bible has challenged us to do and commanded us to do. The the apostle said, I suppose it is needful that I write unto you that you earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I love that. I, I, I love the, the, the broadcast. I don't know all the, there's doctrinal differences, uh, that are in the peripheral, but I, I love the title of, of the Bible broadcast that says back to the Bible. Listen, we're in a progressive church movement and it's taking us away uh, from the authenticity and the 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 inspiration and, and the eternal uh, essence of the word of God. Listen, we don't need a, need a new and different 
gospel that has been reshaped and re-edited uh, to fit a seeker-friendly audience. We need the truth as it's delivered in the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, by anointed, appointed ministers that have a backbone, <laughs> amen, that isn't made of jello, so we can stand true. We need to be actually like velvet-covered steel. We need to preach the truth in love, but we must first preach the truth, not in the lame of love, withhold that truth. Amen. Because it's through the knowledge of the truth that people are set free, that, that prisoners that sit in Satan's prison house are, are delivered from that place. Amen. Their eyes are opened and they are convicted of their sin and convinced that Jesus is the only Savior. And they come to Him and they run to Him and their sins are forgiven when they repent of them. Oh, friend of mine, this is a day of deep darkness and deception, and deception in the, the community of believers is a sign of the very last days. That's why the falling away is going to occur, because people are giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Bible actually says they will heap to themselves teachers. This is within the Christian community. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. People who will tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. We see it. I've watched it. I've been preaching the gospel. <laughs> I've been a pastor evangelist, therefore preaching the gospel for almost 50 years in this ministry as the president, director, pastor evangelist of the Holy Church of God here in Tampa. I preached before that. All total, I have been preaching 50 years of my life, and I have been preaching Christ and him crucified. I have seen different kind of trends come and go, but there is no other gospel that can be preached but that that has been and should be being preached right now. Amen. The truth of God that saved in the first century church will save in the 21st century church. The truth of God that delivered and set free in the first century church. That same truth will deliver and set free. We do not need in an edited version of the gospel. We must not in this area give place to the devil. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, listen, when I was with you, <laughs> I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my preaching and my teaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom declaring unto you the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ. It was not, listen, with the enticing words of man's wisdom that your faith might not stand in the wisdom of men or a man, but in the 
power of God. Hallelujah. See, this enticing words, when we begin to try to make the gospel uh, palatable uh, to, to sinners who need to be saved by never talking about sin to them so that there's no real conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit and therefore no repentance of sin. So they live in that sinful condition and we're telling them, in, without saying it directly, we're saying to them, it's okay. God loves you so much. Jesus is just your old pal, and everything's going to be just fine. Just, just pray this little prayer and keep living in that dungeon and in that depravity. It'll all be okay. It will not be okay without repentance of sin and without the renouncing of that sin. Friend of mine, we can't live sinlessly perfect, but we can be perfectly committed to not let sin reign in our own mortal body, but let Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, reign in us. So it's either going to be a seeker-friendly Jesus, or it's going to be Jesus, our substitute. Listen to what First Peter says chapter 2 verse 24 it says who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should not should live rather unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed i like the amplified it said he personally bore our sins in his own body on the tree as on an altar and offered himself on it that we might die, cease to exist to sin, and live unto righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Hallelujah. You see, friend, Jesus' death on the cross was sacrificial, and it was substitutionary. As with all the sacrificial offerings in the Old Covenant, the innocent taking the place of the guilty, taking the punishment for the guilty. As the old camp meeting hymn says, I bought a debt I couldn't pay, and it was growing every day. But Jesus paid it all for me. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus, dear friend, took our place. He took our punishment. He absorbed all of God's wrath, justifiable anger, and justice in His own body on the cross. That's what Peter is saying here, that Jesus is our substitute. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, where he was baptizing, he looked and a revelation caused him to say something so revolutionary it shocked them to the core that heard what he said about this man coming for him to baptize. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And Peter was basing his statement here 
on what many Bible scholars call the gospel in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, and particularly verse 11. And it's the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross in our behalf. I just want to read that to you quickly. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely He hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Verse 11 said, From God's perspective, He shall see the travail of His soul and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for He will bear their iniquities. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that Jesus took my place on the cross, took my sin, and took my punishment. This message brings a devotion to Him, a reciprocal love for Him. We love Him because He first loved us to that degree. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you save Jesus and Him crucified. That's why he said these great things. I mean, he had all of this revelation. He had all these gifts of the Spirit. He had this experience of being caught up to third heaven. I mean, he could have, he could have written a bestseller, couldn't he, today? What he saw, he said, I wasn't permitted to tell what I saw. If you want to know about heaven, the best place to find out about it is in the book of Revelation. When God revealed to John the holy city, the gates, the foundations, praise God. Amen. And this is the authority of the inerrant, inspired Word of God. Better than anybody's book. There's some crazy stuff out there uh, that doesn't even line up with the book of Revelation or the rest of the Bible that people claim. All of that is subjective, but the Word of God is eternal truth. That's why I love the Bible so much. Best book on, on heaven that I've ever read is the Holy Scriptures. I'd like a hearty amen from some of you preachers in this audience. Hallelujah. And speaking of great preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers, and he loved the doctrine of substitution. Here's some things he said about it. I just want to read this to you today. I wish I had written it. You know this is my heart as well. He said, and I quote, "In, In one word, the great fact on which the Christian hope rests is substitution. The vicarious sacrifice of Christ for the sinner. Christ's sufferings for the sinner. Christ being made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ offering up a true and proper substitutionary sacrifice in the place of as many as the Father gave Him who are recognized by their trusting in Him. This is the cardinal fact of the gospel. He went on to say, There's no doctrine that fires my soul with such delight 
as that of substitution. Substitution, he says, is the very marrow of the whole Bible, the soul of salvation, the essence of the gospel. We ought to saturate all our sermons with it, for it's the lifeblood of a gospel ministry. You know, when you hear preaching that barely mentions the cross, that rarely mentions sin, that was the whole purpose of the cross. He came to take our sins. He that knew no sin became sin. He never sinned, but he was treated as a sinner on that cross so that we could be forgiven because he took our place, took our punishment. He went on to say, I'm I'm incapable of moving one inch away from the old faith. We hear something today called progressive churches. And that progression, as they put it, is nothing more than a leaving the the Bible-based foundations of our faith. You know, the Bible said there's no other gospel. Yet We don't need a new version of it. We don't need an edited version of it. We certainly don't need the seeker-friendly version of it. We need the Bible as it is written. It's saved in the first century. It saves today. <laughs> the preaching of the cross delivered and set free. Sinners came to Christ, and they will today if we preach Jesus and Him crucified, and not Jesus, our old buddy, our old pal, where he, you know, he understands we're just a bunch of old hard-headed, not-headed sinners. You know, we just serve the devil through the week, come to church on Sunday. But he gets us. He gets that. No, he does not get that. In fact, we're told in Scripture to come apart, come, come, come to come apart from them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. For what fellowship hath light with darkness, and Christ with the devil? Belial means the devil himself. We're told we cannot, we cannot eat from the table of demons and the table of God simultaneously. We're told we can't serve two masters, for we will love one and hate the other, hate one and love the other. This is a radical call to separation and sanctification in the Word of God. Clearly today, the Christ of the Bible took our place on the cross, and we should love Him enough for what He's done for us, that we would serve Him wholeheartedly and not half-heartedly. Listen, Spurgeon went on to say, I'm incapable of moving one inch away from the old faith. One thing I know, the gospel of substitution. And one thing I do, preach it. Hallelujah. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he said one thing I have desired, one thing more than anything else that I might know Him. I might know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings and in the power of His resurrection. Spurgeon went on to say, if you put away the doctrine of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, you've disemboweled the gospel and torn from it its very heart. 
And he said this about, and I, I like this, talk about committed. We, we need preachers today as committed as he was to the truth of the gospel and the Savior of the gospel. He said, I pray God that every stone of this church may tumble to its ruin and every timber be shivered to atoms before there should stand on this platform a man to preach who denies the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ or who even keeps it in the background for this is our watchword. Amen. Friend, I've embraced this attitude of Charles Haddison Spurgeon. And it should be ours as well. You see, the devil knows full well that without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice for sin. Today, there's a strong attack against the preaching of the cross and the very blood of Jesus Christ. And the bloodless gospel is another gospel, a false gospel, a gospel that does not save. I like what William Deal said. He said to many teachers within the Christian church today, the fact that Paul and the other apostles taught that we are sinners reconciled to God by the blood of Christ is to them an embarrassment. God, they say, is gracious and can forgive sin simply because He's God and does not require a blood sacrifice to forgive sin. To believe in a blood sacrifice, they say, comes from ignorance of the fact that God is not treating us as mere slaves who need to fear their master But now God wants us to know that we are His friends. See, seeker-friendly, listen carefully. God, they say, is merely using these fear-inducing terms like blood, wrath, and atonement, propitiation, ransom, debtors to the law, legal justification, guilt, punishment, anger, plagues, etc. to get our attention so we'll stop and take a good look at God to see that He is so kind and loving that He never demands atonement for His broken law or justice and punishment and death to sinners. The gospel to these teachers is merely to know that God is good, kind, loving, and gentle. Friend, I want to stop here and say God is good. He's kind, loving, and gentle. But He's God, and He's just. And He cannot and He will not just sweep our sins, so to speak, under the rug. He cannot just overlook them. He's obligated by His own holiness to judge our sin and to judge us as sinners. But He loved us enough to send His Son and to punish His Son in our stead And when we fail to talk about the fact that we are sinners and without this sacrifice for our sin, there is no forgiveness for our sin. There is no salvation without this Jesus dying on the cross in our place. And it's supposed to produce and stimulate a love and devotion and reverence for Him that we might see Him as our substitute lamb 
That's why, that's why when John the Baptist saw him, he said, behold, behold, he had a revelation of what Jesus came here to accomplish when he saw him coming. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. What a revolutionary thing for them to hear that a man would become just like that lamb that was taken up to the temple that was slain and the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat for the nation of Israel. Behold, the Lamb of God. God has provided a lamb. We used to sing it. Every time we sang it, I felt tears well up. I felt my heart about to burst with love for the Lord. And I wanted to serve Him And I never wanted the focus to be taken from what He has done for me on the cross. I don't want it to become redundant and just become routine. I don't want it to be a given. I want it to be something that every time when I view the cross, my love for Him is kindled to begin with and rekindled every time that I do that. And I don't wait for Holy Communion alone to be practiced the tokens of his broken body and shed blood. When I survey, as the song says, the wondrous cross where my Savior died, I pour contempt on all my pride. It goes on to talk about how I want to humble myself and become a true follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen. For these modern deceivers, Christ dying on the cross is merely God's demonstration that He's gracious, a gracious, forgiving friend, they say. The cause of sin is mostly defined as ignorance of what God is really like. I like what Roger Oakland says on this same theme. And I quote, The gospel of Jesus Christ is not the gospel unless the blood of Jesus was shed. Man cannot be saved unless he understands and accepts this. Ask for forgiveness of sin and repent. There are many in the church today who say the gospel is too bloody and offensive for seekers. Can the gospel be watered down and diluted? Big question mark. No, sir, it certainly cannot No, ma'am, it certainly must not. There's a trend in the church today, and I've mentioned it, called seeker-friendly, also progressive. Oh, oh, I don't want to sing that same old song, but progressive to them means that we're leaving the gospel as it's written and declared. We're not contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We're not preaching the gospel that is founded upon the apostles, prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. The goal of the church is not to teach the body of Scripture. If we make services more contemporary and less threatening, they say we can attract more seekers. They say eventually these seekers will find out what they are really seeking and discover Jesus. However, if you shock these seekers by confronting them with the blood of Jesus or telling them breaking God's law is sin, they'll run away instead. Really? Seriously, we can't mention sin 
Because if we do, they won't come. We won't have that number count. We won't have that, that, that much given in the offering. We won't be able to build that new thing that we're building. So, listen, judging by the size of churches who promote seeking rather than teaching, one could easily say the model is effective. Once a seeker-friendly church becomes successful, the church and pastor becomes a model for others. Seminars and conferences are held and pastors from other churches, particularly smaller churches, attend looking for the techniques they can use so they can be seeker-friendly too. Seems to be quite contagious. If you attend a seeker-friendly church on Sunday, it'll be rare to see someone actually carry a Bible. A person with a Bible would be like a fox in a chicken coop, someone said. Seekers would scatter. It's important that seekers do not be threatened in any way. Pastors of seeker-friendly churches say they believe the Bible, but apparently they don't want seekers to think that they take the Bible literally or too seriously. For example, a seeker-friendly pastor would not want to speak on the subject of Genesis and creation because the evolutionist attending would be upset, or he would never mention the consequence of sin and death. This could offend a seeker, and they might not ever come back. In other words, they the Bible's clear. As sure as there's a heaven, there's a hell, but they won't mention eternal punishment and banishment from God. Bible prophecy or mentioning the end times is also not recommended in seeker-friendly churches. One pastor claims that frightening the church about end times events can make the flock less purpose-driven and therefore not as effective as one could be in the present. In other words, what they're saying, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're not heavenly minded, you ain't, I'm going to put it in pure old plain language here. You ain't no earthly good to God because you can't represent the kingdom of God. Amen. You're still stuck in time. You're not living for eternity, not living for God's glory. There's something about that message of the soon coming of Jesus Christ and the fact that we are in the last days that gives us that hope that focuses like a laser upon the hope that we have. And he that hath this hope purifieth himself. (laughs) Hallelujah. That we might live out our faith before a gainsaying world. The bloodless gospel is the product of market-driven church consultants. They say it's important to find out what the seekers are looking for and provide it. Surveys are done and the church responds, give the people what they want to hear, feel, and they will come. Not necessarily come to Christ, repenting of their sin, seeking shelter, seeking a place of refuge from the wrath to come. No, they just want them to come to church. The feel-good gospel, void of conviction, void of the fear of the Lord, empty of the life-changing power with no repentance of sin, can never save. Second Peter 2, verse 1 and 2, 
Listen to it carefully. This is important. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. How did Jesus buy us? Where is this denial of the Lord that bought them? How are they denying Him? Because they're not preaching Jesus our Lamb, Jesus our substitute. They're not preaching Jesus and Him crucified anymore. They're not preaching the consequences of sin and how Jesus' death on the cross should show us how serious our sin is and how serious God is about forgiving our sin if we will repent of our sin and come to Christ by faith. The Bible said in verse, listen, denying the Lord that bought them, bought them. The Bible says we are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold after the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, without spot or without blemish. Oh, dear friend, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth will be evil spoken of. Today, this very day, this message that I'm bringing you right now, will be evil spoken of because it conflicts with a modern new day new age approach to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ i'm not going to change to get an offering to build a building when souls are hanging in the balances it's not because i'm just old school it's because there truly is no new school. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you will give heed to the gospel, that you will come to Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. He has paid the price by dying on the cross for you. And if you will come to Him repenting of your sin, God will pardon your sin. Jesus will save you today. He will seal you. And He will keep you safe from the wrath to come. And today, if you are following false teaching and false teachers, if you're part of this movement to entertain, when the church would rather play than pray, you need to take an inventory because the Bible said that many will follow them and many will depart from the faith. Let's get back in the Bible. Let's get back in the God of the Bible, defined by Holy Scripture that is eternal. Let's follow the Jesus of Scripture because He'll lead you in a path of righteousness for His name's sake. Let's be His witnesses and let's stand true so that when He comes, 
He will find faith, literally. He will find faithfulness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we love you today. God bless you today. Brand new year. Let's make it a year of deep devotion to God, to Christ, and to truth. <laughs>